0: You're listening to the People's Architect, a podcast series brought to you by Crawford Architects, where we explore how to connect people through innovative design that both benefits the client and the community at large.
1: Hello, welcome to the People's Architect, a podcast series brought to you by Crawford Architects, where we explore how to connect people through innovative design that both benefits the client and the community at large. My name is Devin Wolf. I'll be your host for today's episode, which will be covering P3 procurement, the hottest topic in development at the moment. We have a stacked panel today with industry professionals from across different aspects of the AEC industry, which includes Stacey Jones, Malcolm McIntyre, David Rolls, and Adam Shaw. Stacey, if you don't mind starting us out, please introduce yourself and give your name, your role, who you work for, and your connection to the P3 procurement process.
2: Thanks, Devin. Stacey Jones. I'm a senior principal and a co-founder of Crawford Architects. I reside mostly in Kansas City, Missouri. I Travel around a fair bit these days, chasing projects across the nation and, and some international So my association with the world of public-private partnerships goes back quite a way. So in Australia, where it was kind of first brought to my attention some 30 years or so ago, was where I kind of cut my teeth in the process as an architect, providing architectural services to the P3 procurement model and the other players in
1: that field. Awesome. Thank you. Malcolm? Malcolm? Hi, I'm uh,
0: Malcolm McIntyre, I'm the managing director of Capella Capital and similar to Stace, I've been involved in the space for about thirty years, majority in Australia, but four or five years also in the US and Canada but back in the two thousands. We develop and finance P three projects, you know, as I said, predominantly in Australia these days, but thirty year experience, you know, and you know quite a International perspective on on how these projects are put together and, and what's best best practice.
1: Thank you, thank you, Adam. Thanks, Devin.
3: Great to be here, Adam Shaw. I'm a Chief Delivery Officer within Answer Advisory, Accenture Company, and I've been working in the P3 space for the predominant part of my career, starting in Scotland, through to a period in Australia and, latterly, the US and Canada. So. Worked in various different capacities on all sides of the table, working with public clients, as well as working, supporting consortium bids and lenders technical advisory. So currently working on a couple of major P3s across the U S as well as continuing to see development in the alternative delivery outside of the pure P3 definition and excited to talk more with the group today.
1: Very cool. Thank you for that. And last but not least, David.
3: Hi, yeah, my name's David Rolls, and I'm a real estate and infrastructure advisor here in Australia and a bit in Asia. My previous role was MD of development for Leadlease in Australia, and like Stacey, got involved in P3 type projects back, really kicked off by the Sydney Olympics, essentially. And my role in real estate relates more as advising government early on and also an adjunct to some of the hybrid models that you get with PPPs around how you bring real estate into those type of models as well.
0: Phenomenal.
1: Thank you all for being here today. I'm very excited for this conversation. Why don't we get started with the elephant in the room? What is a P3?
2: Well, I'll, I'll kick it off because I'm the least knowledgeable. So that way I can get dispensed with what I know quicker and leave time for the guys that, in the room that basically were there when it was invented. But it's a public-private partnership. Uh, it's sometimes referred to as PPP in other parts of the world, P3 mostly here in the US. It, it's really a moniker that basically was fashioned around the need for large infrastructure projects that couldn't otherwise be funded solely by the public purse of governments, municipalities or cities that needed to bring in private resources, private funding, private money to get these large projects done. Australia is a prime example of that, where we have a very, very big country physically, not many people. But vast distances to cover and, and, and disparate communities separated by long distances that needed to be connected or have the resources that are found in modern countries built within a country that has difficulty raising the capital from the public coffers. The only way that we could do things was of a big nature, airports, infrastructure like that, roads and other services was to couple or, yeah, to couple with the private private industry to bring in their innovation, their access to capital and to partner with public entities to actually build the things that we needed to get done in in a country like Australia. So that's kind of my two cents worth. That's sort of how I kind of saw it and and came into the the process of public-private partnerships. But let's kick it off.
0: Malcolm. Yes, thanks, Stacey. Yeah, partnership, I think, is is the key thing, a partnership between the public and the private sector. That that partnership, typically where risk is allocated to the party best able to manage that risk in projects that typically involve both a a delivery and then a long-term maintenance or operating period. And often the project reverts back to government at the end of that period, and so a, a p three consortium might include constructors, engineers, architects, designers, facilities managers, operators, uh, financiers and developers and you know the the project can be contained to just an infrastructure element or it might be broadened to include yeah you know, more commercial development, value capture, other aspects that are beyond just the infrastructure. I, I think Stace just mentioned a, a core element being about attracting capital, and and from my own perspective, I think sometimes if these projects are, are around just delivering capital, that then I think that and and I think my experience in the U.S. was it was often about transferring as much risk to the private sector as possible, rather than what I said before, risk best able to be managed. But but, but I think that the you know the the real magic of a p3 is having all those parties that I mentioned before in a room at the same time who are developing you know a, a response to something in parallel rather than you know having a very detailed brief and there being a sequential project development put them all in the room together and that's it's innovation for me it it's p3 drives extraordinary innovation and, and fabulous outcomes for, for community and societies generally. Yeah,
3: I, I would layer on that, that you know the original question being, what is a P3? The answer is that they're all different from each other. Thematically, they can have similar components, similar mechanisms. But I think the question that actually better explains this world that we work in is, how those p3s come into being and normally that's about a set of complex needs that the public party hasn't managed to figure out how to deliver it themselves or in a a more advanced environment they've decided their needs are something that they don't want to be in the business of developing operating maintaining that's been a real difference that i've observed between the Australian environment and the US environment. There's a far more mature attitude in the Australian context to the sorts of business and government should be in and not be in. And that's led to a lot of really productive and innovative structures around large development, mixed use, multi-tenant research facilities, as an example, all things that have been achieved because of a very conscious decoupling from this idea that if it's a public project, the public agency must be intrinsically responsible for everything. The US with its far more fragment, fragmented governmental structures is still on a learning curve around the idea of, do we need the beneficial use of a given facility or piece of infrastructure? Or do we want to own it, control it from both an operational standpoint and a fiscal responsibility so when we look at the root cause of how a p3 comes to market unfortunately many of them as stacy stated come into being because there is in fact a funding gap that is one of the kind of systemic issues that the us market struggles with is p3 is really seen as a financing tool not as a more comprehensive programmatic approach to transferring risk as Malcolm said, or as a way in which to manage kind of portfolio or stepped growth. Another great application that we've seen P3s be tremendously successful is where there is such scale that the actual goal that has to be achieved is something that government is able to say we're not capable of doing something of this complexity or something of this scale or something within such a confined time frame. And so If we're doing justice to the topic, we'll probably talk less about the value of private sector capital and debt and more about those broader benefits that the long term impact of a P3 can have. Which, thankfully, versus when I started my career, there's so much more real evidence around how these projects perform over time into an operational phase over the long term. And in fact, I was part of. Uh, Negotiating the second term for one of the early correctional projects in Australia, where we've really seen after 25 years, what do these buildings stand up like? How does it compare to how it would otherwise in a conventional delivery method? And so, you know, I really feel like we're in a time right now where where the world is ever more connected. If we could only get to the point of being able to share better, robust data and benchmarking around how these things perform, we could potentially move the dialogue away from private capital and and financing into these long-term benefits that really are compelling to the right leaders within government.
1: As they say, necessity is the mother of all innovation. If you don't mind could you elaborate a bit more about what those public benefits from a p3 model might include
3: i can take that first i think one of the the proudest projects i've been involved in with stacy is in fact the university of california merced where That campus set an ambitious goal to double its scale inside of four years in order to address a real systemic challenge in the UC system around availability of spots for first generation students. And, you know, as many people are aware, higher education is very much predicated on incremental development, one by one, project by project, building by building. And it really never aids these younger institutions, younger campuses that frankly, was a former municipal golf course to somehow get to the point of providing the scale that the system needed. And so with the foresight of looking at a DBFOM model, the University of California was able to get collective buy-in from its system of schools to invest in a stepped way in doubling the size of the campus in order to create this equitable access to a state-funded education that has instantly upon delivery given that opportunity to provide facilities that really supports that social outcome. Now, it's no mean feat to deliver a million square feet on time and on budget. We did that, but more importantly, we were able to create that capacity in the system to create more social and economic opportunity for disadvantaged communities and actually create a real social benefit from that project. Had we gone through conventional methods, we probably would be 200,000 square feet into an incremental building by building CIP program. And that certainly wouldn't have created the capacity in enrollment that is necessary to create social outcomes. So this idea of a stepped investment has really paid dividends in the long tail of the social benefits that that campus is driving, not only for its community, but also for the UC system
0: across California. I'll I'll jump in as well. And I, I think the response to the, the question is, is wholly linked to the nature of the underlying project. You know, working with Crawford on a, what started out as a convention centre in Darwin, gosh, nearly 20 years ago, you know, we created a waterfront, we created a beach, we we, we created a, you know, a place that the community, you know, enjoys and takes pleasure, and it was, I think, the the bringing together of, of infrastructure developers, private developers, you know, the architects, the engineers, etc., that allowed us to take a very holistic view to, to a place and what was the best place outcome. Delivering a public transport system, it's it's about delivering, you know, on-time running, high reliability, high quality, safe, clean, reliable transport outcomes. If it's a hospital, it's making a hospital available for the health practitioners to be able to deliver the highest quality medical care, you know, w- without You know, being supported by the quality of the infrastructure, and the infrastructure not detracting from the 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 service. Convention centers, you know, it's been able to host world class events and receive, you know, absolutely glowing endorsements from delegate attendees about the quality of the F and B, about the quality of the 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 audio technology, the 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 whole experience. And so, it's what one of the the core aspects of a PPP is is often having a very simple brief. You know, what Adam spoke about before with what what, what are the requirements of a project and, and some of the most successful projects I've worked on, the public sector has been able to put a brief out that's one page that here's the key requirements that we want. You, the private sector, go to town on, on coming up with a creative and innovative solution which addresses that. But but at the core, these projects are always about delivering, you know, exceptionally high quality service outcomes and community outcomes.
1: Fantastic. So
0: the types of projects, I think, Devin. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, yes, I, I think, yes. Yeah. My, my, my experience in the US has been that transport has been a very significant part of the the P3 market, and and I think some of that is driven by the availability of different financing tools available in the U.S., TIFIA, private activity bonds, etc. But if you go to a market like Australia, the current pipeline of projects we're working on includes extensive involvement in social and affordable housing, Where it's not just about delivery of housing, it's about delivery of what's described as wraparound services by community housing providers. Those support services include employment, training opportunities and other support services. Hospital PPPs, that's publicly operated hospitals. Transport projects, which include predominantly transit. So metro, light rail projects, tunnelling projects with significant highway toll roads through through those projects convention centers waterfront renewals so a really very diverse range of, of projects but but I would say you know one of the differences between the US and and Australia is that there is a significantly greater focus on the the social infrastructure type p3s than the US which is at least historically has been more focused on on transport understood. Thank you for listening to this episode of The People's Architect. Be sure to subscribe to this series on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. To learn more about Crawford Architects, our mission, portfolio, and what it means to be the People's Architect, visit our website at crawfordarch.com.